The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. Hello, and welcome to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. My name is Joni Siegel, and I'm the host for this podcast. Today's episode is episode number 207. One more, and we're done with our fourth year. I want to thank you for listening. I also want to make sure that you know that our sponsor, Narconon Ojai, is like no other treatment facility on the planet. First of all, it's in a beautiful location, but more importantly, it has an exact rehabilitation technology that is drug-free and completely holistic and gets to the root of the problem for which drugs became the solution. For more information, call 1-866-231-5924. Today's episode is an interview with a gentleman named Peter Canning. When Peter Canning started work as a paramedic on the streets of Hartford, Connecticut at 25 years of age, he believed drug users were victims only of their own character flaws. Although he took care of them, he did not take, he did not care for them. But as the overdoses escalated, Canning began asking his patients how they had gotten started on their perilous journeys. And while no two tales were the same, as we know, the heart-rending similarities changed Canning's view and moved him, from, moved him to educate himself about the science of addiction. Armed with that understanding, he began his fight against the stigmatization of users. He's written a book called Killing Season, so we'll get him to tell us about that. Without further ado, let's talk to Peter Canning. Peter Canning, thank you so much for being on the podcast today and sharing your insight into this pandemic. Thanks for inviting me, me Joni. I'm happy to be here. Very cool. Well, you have kind of a different perspective because you don't have a history of personal addiction, which is fine. But tell us how you got started just with even being an activist, if you will, in this area. So um, I'm, uh, I'm a paramedic. I've been a paramedic in Hartford, Connecticut for over 25 years. Uh, when I started, you know, it's a, Hartford's an inner city. Uh, and I did heroin overdoses, opioid overdoses. Uh, I did them for years, and they were just a routine part of, of what I did. Um, it wasn't until maybe five or six years ago, I suddenly started noticing, oh my goodness, I'm doing a lot more than I did before. And then each year, I just started doing more and more, and it, I started paying more attention to it. When I first began as a paramedic, it's important to understand that paramedics in our education, they don't teach us about mental health. They don't teach us about addiction. When it comes to an overdose, all they do is they teach us how to reverse it. If somebody's not breathing or is as agonal breathing and their pupils are pinpoint, you give them some Narcan and hopefully that wakes them up. And then I did what I observed from other paramedics as I would look at the person and go, you know, what are you a fool? You know, you're going to kill yourself. You're going to end up dead or you're going to end up in jail. And I personally thought that people who use drugs did it by choice and that they had a character flaw. Um, I, I wrote, um, since I began as a paramedic, I've done a lot of writing. So I've always like kept journals. And I wrote a book about my first year as a paramedic. And 
there's a scene in that first book where I describe an overdose and, you know, we revive the guy with Narcan and then we have to carry him out of the house. And, you know, it's heavy, it's hot, and we're carrying him. And I'm thinking, and I write this in the book, I'm thinking, what a scumbag. And the truth is, I, like many in my profession, were the, the culture was if somebody used drugs, they were a scumbag. And that's, that's just what it was. Um, in time, as there were more and more overdoses, I started talking to my patients. And when I listened to their stories, I suddenly came to a realization that these are not people who just decided to become heroin addicts. You know, and most of them that got there, they, you know, they had an injury. They, uh, you know, were sick. You know, they were prescribed these meds. And it, it was just like one call after the other. I remember what I would do is I'd ask somebody, you know, how did you get started? They go, oh, I tore my leg up skateboarding. And then I would shout to my partner who was driving and say, skateboarding. And because every time I did one, I would call to him and say, car accident. You know, there was always something that precipitated all of this. Yeah. And now I came to understand that this could be me. This could be people that I loved and cared about. And, you know, I started learning about the, the science of it. And I learned that addiction is a disease. And, and, you know, talking to all these people, it really completely changed my mind. And then I started going to conferences. I started learning about harm reduction. And, you know, so today, instead of saying, just say no, we're going to end up dead or in jail, I'm going to say, listen, you know, do you know where you can get rehabilitation? And if they don't, I'll, I give them a card where they can get it. And I say, well, you know, if you're, if you're going to use again, and they all say, no, no, I'm never using again. It's the last time. I say, yeah, Famous last care. words. If you're going to use again, you got to have Narcan. Do you have Narcan in your house? No. Well, here's where you can get it. You know, you know I had a, did a call where people shared a syringe, and I had to say, you can't do that. You know, here's where you go to get clean syringes. If you're going to use don't use alone. Or if you are going to use alone, use in a public place, in a place where if you overdose, somebody can see you. Don't mix with benzos. You know, so I, I got a whole list of stuff that I tell people now. And even it's even come to the point where uh, I've become fairly familiar to a lot of the users in the, in the area. And there have been cases where they will go within sight of my ambulance and they will use within my site because they know if something happens to them, I'm going to be there to call, you know, to call for wow. help. That's wow. been a complete change, a hundred degree change, but uh, it's been incredibly enlightening. Well, I, I think, I think you make a good point. Sorry to interrupt you, Peter, yeah, but I no, think you make a very fine. good point because one of the things we talked about before on the podcast is I think so often that, you know, loved ones of the addict just look at them sometimes and go, why can't you just stop? And that is an indication of not really understanding the physical, mental, and spiritual aspects of addiction. And it's just not that easy in probably 90% of the cases. I mean, we've interviewed former addicts who did just decide to stop and they stopped, but they are very few and far between, as you know. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of the counseling that we do now is, is not just to the patient, but it's to the family to say, hey, don't be hard on him. You know, this is a hard process, you know, because sometimes that, you know, that a lot of the times that the, the, the patients express such remorse, it's like, oh, my father's going to kill me or, you know, I'm so I've disappointed my family. 
And it's like, I got to say, you know, don't be that hard on yourself. And then when I see the family, I say, don't be so hard on the person. This is really hard. Here's people you can talk to. Here's where you can get help. Yep. Interesting. Are you seeing by any chance um, any, like, have you seen uh, trends in terms of drugs that are coming to you in terms of overdoses? Yeah. So, um, when I started 25 years ago, it was pretty much just heroin. People would buy heroin or there would, there would be some prescription overdoses. Then, you know, maybe six years ago, you know, there was more prescription pills that people were using. And, and well, Hartford, there's a lot of heroin. But what we were starting to see was they would put uh, a little bit of fentanyl in the heroin. Ah, uh, yes. And so that was when the overdoses really started because the problem with fentanyl is it's hard to mix it. So, um, you know, you can throw in a sprinkle in one batch, it's going to be kill somebody, and you, you know, in another batch might not have any. Oh, that's so, interesting. So, well, yeah, so this is, this is really, really fascinating. So in Hartford now, it's pretty much all fentanyl. If you go to buy heroin, so Hartford, um, the heroin has always been powdered. Where in like the you know west of the Mississippi they tend to use the the black tar heroin, but Hartford has the East Coast powder, so it's just it it's you know looks like sugar a little you know whatever kind of white stuff. Um, so initially they started sprinkling a little fentanyl in it because you put some fentanyl in it and it gets you, the the batch can go farther, but because fentanyl is. 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin. The benefit of that for the dealers is for volume, it's 50 to 100 times smaller. They make more money. So much easier to to deal with. But then the problem is, is when you mix it. Mm. So if I'm a dealer and I just have heroin and I'm selling heroin that's 50% pure, so I have a pile of heroin and then I have a pile of cut, you know, and so it's very easy to mix it up. But with fentanyl, I only putting like one percent in uh, in there versus fifty percent. So it's a very very hard to mix. It it creates what's called the the chocolate chip cookie syndrome. So like if you buy a chocolate chip cookie, it might there might be one section that has some more chips uh-huh. than others. Yeah. So you can buy a bag of heroin from one dealer, and then you buy two bags. One bag might have. 20% fentanyl in it, and the other bag might not have any. Right. So the problem is, is just when you're buying, you just don't know how much you're getting. Wow. Um, now, the other, as far as trends here, so when you go to buy heroin, like I said, in 90% of the cases, it's fentanyl that you're getting. What What's happening now also is before, if you bought pills like Percocet or Oxycontin, you'd be getting the actual pharmaceutical pill. Right. What the dealers are doing now is they're making counterfeit pills that have fentanyl in them. And you get the same thing. It's like the mixture problem. It's like one pill might have 1% fentanyl, 1% might have, one pill might have 0.1, and another might have five. And so uh, the same thing we're finding, like people will overdose and they'll say, I overdosed on Xanax. I don't use an opioid but I brought them back with naloxone. Well, what happened was is that Xanax was counterfeit and the active ingredient was fentanyl. So we're seeing a lot more of that happening in in our area. Wow. Do you have, you know, I've never heard 
about the the mixing issue with fentanyl. That's kind of a new one. You know, we have warned people, you know, you need to be careful about the drug that you get on the street because you don't know whether it's got fentanyl in it. Well, to add to that, you don't know how much fentanyl is in it. Right, You right. know, which yes. it's scary. It is. It's absolutely a big problem. Now, what I'm what I'm reading is is that so the in the last couple of years the overdose death rate has skyrocketed on the East Coast, where it's been largely powdered heroin. Okay. What I'm reading now is that the death rates are going higher in the West Coast as fentanyl and powdered heroin are moving west because it's economically better for the dealers to deal with fentanyl. And so you're going to see more overdoses there. Um, one of the things that, that we do is we have these things called fentanyl test strips. Um, so they can test to see if fentanyl is in their heroin. But now, because fentanyl is in everything, it doesn't have as much utility. And also, it, while it says there's fentanyl present, it doesn't tell you how much fentanyl is there. But it is, a, it's a real, uh, it's a dangerous, uh, dangerous thing. Wow. Do you, um, I hope it's okay to ask you this, do you yeah. lose some of them? Do, they, do I what? Do you lose some of the overdoses that you get? Do oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, basically, um, naloxone reverses it if the person is still breathing or hasn't been breathing for maybe four or five minutes, you can get them back. But in a lot of cases we get there and the patient's too far gone. Okay. Um, and you know, there's some cases where they're so far gone, they already have rigor mortis, you know, and they have the needle in their arm. So we don't, we just call the time. There's others that may not be breathing, but because they're still limber, we try to resuscitate them. But if, if you reach a certain point, the Narcan's not going to help anybody. Narcan only helps you if you just, you either, you know, have agonal breathing, breathing one or two times a minute, or you stop breathing in the last several minutes. So what we do, we get there, we have what's called an ambu bag, where we put it on the patient's face and we breathe for them. We squeeze a bag that puts air into them. Okay. And then we give them Narcan. And we try to give them just enough to get their breathing back. If you give them too much, if they're a chronic user, you're going to put them into withdrawal, in which case they'll vomit, they'll become very agitated and sometimes violent. Um, oh. But yeah, we see a lot of the death rate has been going up uh, quite quite a lot, particularly this last year. We yeah. had seen a plateau a year before that, and then it, the death rate started back up again. Right. You are listening to the Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return. For more information on the podcast or to reach out if you have a story you would like to share with us, go to our Facebook page by the same name, or you can email us at theaddictionpodcast at yahoo.com, or go to our website, theaddictionpodcast.com, or call us at 727 314 7080. And please remember to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and give us a five-star review. For more information on our sponsor, Narcanon Ojai, visit their website at narcanonojai.org. That's N-A-R-C-O-N-O-N-O-J-A-I.org. Or call 1-866-231-5924. That's 1-866-231-5924. Sometimes, the hardest thing about getting someone into recovery is getting them to agree to treatment. 
Bobby Newman, a certified drug counselor with 30 years experience and an over 85% success rate as an interventionist, has created a series of 12 videos that you can use right now to learn every step to get your loved one to agree to treatment. Call 1-833-918-0008 today and say the word podcast to get a 10% discount. Or go to newmaninterventions.com and type in the word podcast for a 10% discount. This service comes with a free one-hour consultation with Bobby. Peter, what urged you or what what got you to write the book? Well, so... um... I said, I've always written. Um, I wrote two books in my early years as a paramedic about what it was like to be a paramedic. And then, um, like I said, I've always kept a blog and I've been writing stuff. And then I just started having more and more of these cases. And they were they were really interesting. You know, the people's stories. Uh, just a, a, give you an example of a couple of stories that I had. Um, I got called for a... Uh, car into a uh, pole in front of a gas station and i got there and there was a you know a young girl who was slumped in front of the the steering wheel she wasn't breathing but i could see she had uh um some there was some paraphernalia in the front seat and her eyes were pinpoint so i knew that she had used and she was in an area what happens a lot people drive into hartford to buy the heroin and then they're they're in withdrawal, so they use before they go home, and they shoot themselves up and they crash. So I gave her some Narcan, I got her back around, and then I started talking to her, and I asked the question that I always ask, like, how did you get started? You know, she goes, I hurt my back cheerleading. And then I'm looking at her, and I go, ah. and I, I told her, I said, was it at this school? And no doubt she had, at a halftime at a, at a high school football game, they'd thrown her up in the air and, you know, she's doing her spiral and they dropped her. And I remember, you know, I, I, you know, I, we were there, we went there, you know, we put a collar on her back and she was crying about how much her, her back hurt. And, you know, and then, so I asked her a story. Well, you know, she broke her back, you know, that screwed up her life. You know, she got addicted to the pain pills they gave her. They cut her off and then she started buying from somebody else. And then those pills weren't working. And then the same guy who sold her the, the Percocets sold her heroin. And then here she was. And it was like, my goodness, you know. You saw it. You almost saw yeah, it happen. You yeah. Saw it and it's beginning. like, you know, and she's like, oh, my father's going to kill me. And it's like, you know, I just remembered how worried the father had been about her that night. Um, I did a, another call. Uh, it was uh, on Halloween. And uh, it was a call for an unresponsive in front of a, a hospital that had closed. I mean, well, it, it used to be a full hospital, but now it's a rehab hospital, so it doesn't have emergency services. So what had happened is, so, so we got there, a guy's lying on the ground, and um, they had already gotten Narcan from the fire department, and he just started coming around. And, uh, you know, I'm talking to him, and he says to me, after all I've gone through to think I could have died this way, and I'm going, okay. So we, we get him in the back and he's all worried. He goes, what a scumbag I am. I was supposed to take my daughter to trick-or-treating tonight. And uh, and I start, you know, getting his story. And while we're, we're assessing him, he's got like this, uh, this wound here. And I go, what's that? And he goes, that's a bullet hole. And it's like he had, um, 
And I had asked him how he got involved. He, he was in our, Iraq. This guy mm -hmm. volunteered at the day after 9-11. He went to Iraq. He was in an ambush where his, his uh, you know, tank or whatever that was blew up. And, uh, and he got shot. And, you know, here he is, you know, and he had, um, he had just gotten, so the story that day was he had just gotten out of jail for, he was doing time for failure to appear for a warrant. And the warrant was for driving without a taillight out. And, you know, he had come back, he said he had kicked the habit, you know, he, 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 he'd left with this huge prescription problem and he'd beaten it by himself. But in, in the course of it all, he had lost his family. Um, he was um, being driven to uh, a, a girlfriend's house who was going to take him to, to pick up his, his daughter. And that these guys who picked him up as a get out of jail thing, they gave him a little bag of heroin. And he sniffed it, but of course, because he hadn't used for a while, his tolerance was down. He stopped breathing, so his buddies, his so-called buddies, threw him out of the car and took off. And this guy's looking at me and he goes, you know, what a scumbag I am. And it's like, he volunteered the day after 9-11. He got shot. His thing blew up. <laughs> they gave him all these prescription pills. And then look what his life was been after that. You know, how this guy's a hero. He should be loved. He should be welcomed in rather than cast out. Yeah. You know, so, but at the hospital, I was able to say to uh, the, you know, the nurse there who normally is really, really rough with these patients. I was able to say, Hey, he was a serviceman. He volunteered after this and her husband was in the service. So she went in and said, thank you for your service. And then everybody in the hospital went in and said, thank you for your service. They should, should treat everybody with love rather than the, the scorn, you know? So, there's just all these stories and enough of them were, were so eye-opening to me. I, I eventually said, hey, there's a book here. So, yep. So these are the stories that are in your book then ones yeah. of those, yeah. you know, it, I, I, it breaks my heart when I hear, um, you know, someone say that when they've just, you know, basically come back from death, you know, I'm such a scumbag, you know, it, it just, it, it just breaks my heart because they're, they, they need, because I think sometimes when they feel that way, then they can feel like, Oh, well, it's okay for me to use. Cause I'm not worth anything. And that's yeah. just. It's, the stigma is that that is the thing is it's, it's the stigma. And the more we can do to show that these people are our brothers and our sisters and that it, it could be us, yep. then we can treat them differently. I, mean, I remember I, well, there was one call, there was this, this young kid who had overdosed and I brought him back and I'm talking to him and he's doing the same thing. You know, my parents hate me. And then I started to explain to him because I've been learning all this stuff about how the brain works. So I started explaining to him the science of addiction and he's listening to me. And then he goes, you know, you should talk to my parents. And it was so sad because this kid was like ostracized. And it's like he didn't have the ability to tell them or they didn't know. Yeah. I think that, you know, you bring up some very, very good points, Peter. The whole subject of addiction is not understood. When a parent finds out that their child is addicted, there is guilt. There is no understanding of why their kid can't just stop. And I, I just think that there's so much education that needs to be done about the subject of addiction. So I just want to say very well done to you for writing the book. Sure. Um, tell our listeners the name of the book and how they can find it. 
Okay, the book is called Killing Season of Paramedics Dispatches from the Front Lines of the Opioid Epidemic. It's coming out from Johns Hopkins University Press. Uh, it can be bought on Amazon or any of the on, online sites. If, if you, you can go to a bookstore, a bookstore should be carrying it. It comes out April 6th, so it's not there yet, but okay. it can be pre-ordered. You know, I'm not sure the exact date this podcast is going up, but it might come out around the same time. We'll, we'll yeah. be sure and put a link to it when we sure. publish the podcast. And you also have a blog. What is... For those listening, and think with the fact that we have former addicts, we probably have people who are addict addicted right now, we have loved ones and friends of addicts, what would your blog offer to them? Well, so um, I write about lots of different things. I mean, I'll write about being a paramedic. I'm writing a lot about COVID, uh, obviously. Um, but the, the, the stories in the blog... Um, but, you know, some of them are in the book, but then there's more stories that have come out since then. I do write a lot about the opioid patients I have or about different initiatives uh, that, that are going on that we're doing. We're trying to do a lot of education so that, you know, paramedics and stuff can start to recognize the you know, stigma and recognize the science of addiction. Uh, I'll write about harm reduction types of things. So, I mean, there's definitely stuff in there that, that may be of interest. Okay, and how do people find your blog? So the blog is called, uh, uh, the, the address is www.medicscribe.com. And the blog is called uh, Street Watch Notes of a Paramedic. Awesome. So it's medic, M-E-D-I-C, scribe, S-C-R-I-B-E.com. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Uh, or you can Google my name, Peter Canning, and it should come up with that there. Perfect. Peter, if you had just one message for those listening to our podcast on this whole subject of the addiction, I don't call it an epidemic, I call it a pandemic because I think it's way worse than yeah, COVID. Yeah. So what would that one message be if you wanted to just give one message of hope to these people? Um, I think that I think that people are beginning to change, that, that, that there is a seems to be a groundswell support for treating this as a disease. Um, I think the one message that I have to everyone is just, just love each other. You know, let's just welcome everybody and, and, and envelop them with love and, and treat them as your, your fellow brothers and family members, because we, you know, all of us are only just a step away from, from disaster of one kind or another. And um, it's, when I so before I became a paramedic, I used to work in the United States Senate for uh, Lowell Weicker, who was a moderate Republican, and he later became governor of Connecticut. And he's the kind of Republican that I wish there was more of today. But what he used to say is the mark of a society is not how well it treats its richest citizens, but how it treats its most vulnerable. And I think that's the way that we have to go. It enriches us if we if we can enclose everybody and bring everybody into our community. I think you're right. Thank you so much, Peter. My, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Peter Canning. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. I thought that Peter's um, stories about being an um, emergency care giver and what he's seen in terms of overdoses and the handling 
I think it's valuable. I also think he brings up a very good point that, you know, if you're sitting there thinking that people who are um, addicted are just degraded and um, just, you know, bad people or weak people, you know, you really need to understand the whole, um, the whole subject of addiction and how, you know, it's not only physically addicting, but some of these drugs, they're, you know, they're mentally addictive and they're spiritually addictive, if you will. And there needs to be more understanding and less stigmatization. That's never going to help anybody. And the other thing that he pushed was the whole idea of loving people, which I think is a very good point. But first and foremost, you have to love yourself. And so often the addict has lost sight of that and they don't. And so that's my message of hope is that you need to love yourself and love yourself first and foremost before you're going to be able to love other people. So thank you for listening. Be sure and check out his book called Killing Season by Peter Canning and his blog, which is at www.medicscribe.com. We'll talk again next week. We'll have another interview. Y'all take care, get help if you need it and do it today. I just wanted to add a little um, postscript to Peter Canning's interview. This interview should be up if you're watching it or listening to it. It should be up on March 25th. And in one week's time, you should be able to get his book on Amazon, Killing Season. Thank you again for listening. You have been listening to The Addiction Podcast, Point of No Return, sponsored by Narconon Ojai. For more information on Narcanon Ojai, call 866-231-5924 or visit www.narcanonojai.org. Narcanon is a non-12-step rehabilitation program based on the works of L. Ron Hubbard.